Okay. Over the last five months, I don't know if y'all realize it's been that long, but about the last five months, we as a local church have worked our way through the letter of 1 John. And today, we are finishing. Today, we are, we are going to draw our attention to the last verse of this book. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 5. And before we begin, let's pray together. Lord, we come to you, God, and we ask you in prayer to do the same thing, Lord, that we just worshiped you for, God. God, we pray that you would exalt yourself for who you are. You are the mighty one. You have all authority. You hold the universe together even now by the word of your power. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to you, Lord Jesus. And we ask you, Lord, in the next hour to exalt yourself in this local church. Be lifted higher than everything around us. Lord, we worship you as the mighty one. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to exalt Christ to come, Lord, and teach us your words with power this morning. You are the mighty one. In the midst of a world of false gods, you have all power. You're the creator of the ends of the earth. And we ask you today, Lord, that you would display your power and your sovereignty. That you would glorify your name. That you would be who you have revealed yourself to be. Come in power, Lord. Come as the mighty one. Come draw near to us today and dislodge idols from our hearts. Come exalt yourself. Do it for your namesake. Do it for your glory. And we ask you this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. If you have your Bibles, please read this with me. This is God's word to this local church this morning. Here's what he says. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's where we're going today. These are the last words in the letter. This is going to... Finish our study of the book of 1 John. I just want to say a few things before we get settled into this passage. I want us to think about these being John's last words to these churches. And as the Holy Spirit inspired to write this letter to us, these are the Holy Spirit's last words to us in this study. And I say that to call attention to this, just as a general principle. In creation, we hold the last words to be very important. Okay? Deathbed speeches of a, of a grandparent to a grandchild or to a, a parent to a, a son or a daughter. We hold those with great value. And you even think about, we do this with scripture. Before Jesus ascends on a cloud into heaven and sits down at the right hand of the Father. His last words are recorded to us in Acts chapter 1 and at the end of almost every gospel. We call it the Great Commission. We hold these words with weight and with value. 
And so that's how I want us to hear these words this morning. This is, these are the words of an old man who loves Jesus Christ. These are the words of an old man who saw Jesus Christ. Who had personal conversations with the Lord Jesus. Who ate meals with Him. Walked down roads with the Lord Jesus. Saw Jesus raise the dead and multiply bread in the midst of the desert. He saw it. He walked with the Lord Jesus Christ in His earthly ministry. Not only that, He's preached Jesus for decades at this point. And this old man... And he's about to address us with some final words. And at this point in church history, he's the last one standing. He's the last apostle standing. Everyone else has already checked out. They've gone the way of all the earth. And he is an old man now. And, and he's facing death himself. He is about to check out. And so you have the last apostle. And he's trying to make the church of Jesus ready to live in this hostile world that we just heard about last week. And his last words, as we lean in to that deathbed speech, these last final words to us, he tells us to keep ourselves from idols. So these words are important. But I'll just say this, they're also strange. Okay? If you, if you have read the New Testament, especially if you've read it several times through, you know that this is not normal. This is not normally how books of the Bible end. Not, not normally how New Testament letters end. So, so usually you're reading through these letters, these apostolic letters to churches. And you come to the end and almost always there's what's called a benediction. Where God the Holy Spirit pronounces a blessing on the people of God. Reminds them this is what you have in Christ Jesus. Or... It's a word of doxology. It's not a benediction. It's a doxology where, where a man just checks out and begins to praise and worship the one true and living God. Now to him who is able. And you begin to worship God. And we see that almost every letter. But very rarely do we see the final word, the, the period on the end of the sentence of a New Testament letter being an authoritative command. For something that we are to remember. For something that we are to do. And that's how he leaves us in this letter. With something to protect ourselves from. It's the final word. It's ought to tell you how important this is to John. He knows how destructive idolatry is. And so he leaves it as that final whisper to these churches. It is loving. It's a loving word. And I'm taking that. He says little children. Little children. And yet it's a firm word. It is firm and authoritative. Keep yourselves from idols. And I want to say that to say this. Okay. It's a loving yet firm word. And you need to know this about yourself. And I want to know it about myself more and more. That because of our sinful nature. Because of that sinful part of us. There, there's a lot of ways that we do not like authoritative language in the Bible. We do not like to be addressed by nature authoritatively. Authoritatively. And so we begin when we hear authoritative demands laid upon us. A lot of times before we even hear them right, we begin to build up walls. Okay? And I just want to encourage you, don't do that this morning. You have to fight to see this, not only as authoritative, but as a loving warning. These are words of love 
from God the Holy Spirit falling on our ears. He's, he's waking us up to a real danger. That's how I want us to listen. Okay? He's not trying to reveal our sin to rub our face in it. That's not the aim. That's not the goal. He's trying to protect us from departing away from the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a loving warning. That is the aim of the passage, and that's my aim this morning. I want to give every person in this room a loving warning about idolatry this morning. That's where we're going. All right? Now, I don't believe that John had one specific sin, one specific idol that he is telling these churches to beware of. Some people do believe that. I don't. Some people believe that, that he is telling them not to go after those that counterfeit Christ that the Antichrist, the false teachers in this letter are preaching. I think that's certainly included, but here's what I'm saying. I want you to see the broadness of what we're going for today. He did not say, keep yourselves from an idol singular. That's not what he told the churches. He told us, and we're supposed to hear this as a warning from God. This morning, that keep yourselves from idols, plural, many of them, hundreds of them, idols of different kinds, falling on people in different ways, all over this room. So this is going to be a broad message this morning, because I believe that's the aim of the passage. Keep yourselves from idols. We're going to break this down under three headings. When you walk out of this place today, this is what we're going to cover. What is idolatry? That would be the first one. Secondly, how do we know, how do we diagnose these idols in our personal lives? A second. And then we'll finish today with, with being instructed from God's word. Of how, once I know these idols, these false gods, how can I fight against them? How can I do exactly what I'm commanded to do in this passage? How can I guard myself against idols? And so that's where we're headed this morning. So let's begin with a careful definition. It all starts here. Okay? We have to understand this. What is idolatry? I want you to write this down. Idolatry is failing to worship God as God. Two-part definition. Failing to worship God as God and worshiping a created thing in His place. Failing to worship God as God and worshiping a created thing in His place. Nothing original about that. That is directly from Scripture. Listen to Romans chapter 1 verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That sin, that exchanging the glory of the cre creator for the, the, the resemblance of created things. That is the story of human history. Idolatry is the story of human history. Over and over, like a CD stuck on repeat. It happens again and again. If you've read the Bible, you know this. On every chapter, almost every page, 
They do it again. They do it again. They do it again. They worship false gods. They walk away from God. Over and over and over. Cyclical. And not only that, if you've read the Bible, if you know yourself, you know that this is your life on repeat. Over and over and over. You go after created things in place of the Creator who is blessed forever. Over and over and over again. Romans chapter 1 verse 22 Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, most of everybody in this room knows that you have committed that sin. But I want to pause and I want to bring everybody in this room to see these things. You, you, so most of us are there, but I don't want to leave anybody behind. Okay? Every human being, the Bible teaches this, every human being will worship someone or something. Without exception, every human being is a worshiper. Okay? There are no exceptions to this rule. Someone or something will have the ultimate allegiance in a person's life. No exceptions to this, okay? So just think about the most hardened atheist that you can imagine. He or she is more religious than they realize because every person has an ultimate value system, something that they're living for, something that governs, uh, an authority structure that governs how they think. There are no exceptions to this because God made us as worshipers, okay? It's impossible to escape this dynamic. There will always be a fundamental allegiance. Okay? You can call it an allegiance. You can call it a worldview. Something that sits at the top of a person's life that everything else bows down to. And you can call it those things. You can call it a, a perspective, a pursuit in life, a worldview. Or you can call it what it really is. It is a God, something that you go after more than anything else, something that governs your life more than anything else, something that you pursue more than anything else. That is your God. And the Bible teaches that anything we go after in this way, other than the God of Scripture, is idol worship. It's idol worship. And it's wicked. It's wicked. It attempts to rob the God of glory, of His rightful glory, of His rightful place. And that's wicked enough, but it doesn't stop there. It is a twofold offense to God. So it robs God of something, but it also replaces God with a lesser thing. So it's, it's doubly offensive to Him. I want you to see that. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 2. It is a twofold evil. Jeremiah 2, 20. 2, 12, and 13, be appalled, O heavens. I want you to get a visual picture of that. Of the heavens being repulsed and, repul and appalled at something. This is God's word to His creation. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, 
and carved out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. So I want you to see it. Not only when we, when we serve idols, when we worship idols, not only do we rob God of His rightful place, but we stick some pathetic thing up where He should be. And not only do we fail to worship Him, we worship these lesser broken things in His place. How do you think God feels about that? How do you think He feels about it? He, he feels about it an, an offense enough to tell the heavens, be appalled at this. That they would dare rob the Creator and replace Him with these broken cisterns. This is idolatry. This is the story of human history. And we know this well. Our lives are marked by these things. That we put broken cisterns in the place of the one true and living God. And we do this in hundreds of ways. Hundreds of ways we do this. And you might not do it like she does it. And she might not do it like he does it. It happens in many different ways. Okay? That we put these little dirty cups, these broken cisterns in place of the fountain of living water. But here's the problem. Because we're so advanced, because we're so modern, we're really disconnected from this idea in God's word of bowing down and worshiping false gods. And so this is the first thing that I want to hammer okay, as we dig into diagnosing this. In our life. We have some false concepts. In our culture about idols. And even in the church culture. Where we hold these things at a distance. And when we do that. And we don't understand this topic biblically. We don't see our sin. We don't see the false gods. That we worship. So we want to spend some time. Trying to bust through some of these ideas this morning. Okay. How do we diagnose them? And the first thing is we've got to see them rightly. Got to see them rightly. I want, I want you to settle this. Every person in the room, I want you to settle this first. First thing, first off, okay? This is the first hammer blow that we've got to deal to these bad mindsets. Is idolatry is not something that's locked in ancient history. Okay? It is not... You read the Bible and you find these examples of God's people carving images, making shrines, having an altar, offering sacrifices, praying to these false gods. And unless you understand this topic biblically, you feel so disconnected from that, that you have never felt any conviction that you have done anything similar. And so we got to rescue that. Idolatry is not locked in ancient history. It is alive, breathing, and multiplying in American culture. It is alive and well. There are false gods being worshipped in this nation. So I want to talk to you about that. I remember, I'll just tell you a personal story here. I remember a year and a half ago, I was telling my dad about the first time that I saw literal idol worship. Me and Nick Stafford, about a year and a half now, we were in India, and, and, and it's a different culture. There, there, there are millions of Hindu gods, and, and you would drive down the street, and you would see temples and shrines and, and idols, and you would see priests and, and people calling on the name of false gods. 
And you would walk into houses with figurines on the window seals. And you see it. Like you read it in the Bible. But then all of a sudden you're standing in the culture and this is really happening. It's really happening. And it was a vivid reminder to me that how come our idolatry in America isn't just as repulsive? How come I don't see it just, just, just as an impulse to repulse me? How come I'm not aware of that in this culture? And I was talking to my dad about that. My dad is not a believer. And I was, I was talking to him about the gospel. And, and, and I remember sharing that with him about how, how seeing those idols scattered all across India was a good reminder to me that our American culture is no different. That we worship idols. That we worship false gods. And I'll never forget my dad said to me on the phone, he said, son, I've never worshipped an idol in my life. So, so in a real confused way, he didn't understand where I was coming from. And he's completely ignorant that he has done those things, that he has worshipped false gods. So my dad's 50 years old at this time, and he had never considered, okay? He had never considered that idolatry is not something that's just locked in ancient history or pluralistic pagan cultures. It's alive and breathing in America. And every single one of us have bowed down to false gods and worshipped them. So I wonder if there's anybody here this morning, and that's you, you've never thought about it like that. You've never thought about idolatry as being something bigger than literal bowing down and praying to carved idols. And that's what I want to instruct us with this morning from God's Word. Scripture, scripture speaks clearly to this issue. Okay? Idolatry is mainly a matter of the heart. Not what you're carving up and bowing down to with your hands and with your, with your knees. Bowing down and worshiping literal Images, And so I want you to see this. Old Testament and New. I'll share two verses with you. Idolatry is a matter of the heart. It's not just a physical thing. Listen. Ezekiel 14 verse 3. Son of man. These men have taken idols into their hearts. That's Old Testament prophet calling out sin. And listen to what he says. He doesn't say they took idols into their houses. They got figurines on their windows. They got false gods sitting on their windowsills. He didn't say that. He said they have taken idols into their hearts. Listen to the New Testament. It gets even clearer. Acts 17 Paul is preaching the gospel to a city that is filled with idols. And he says in verse 29, he says this. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. Listen close. An image formed by the art and the imagination of a man. So listen close. The Bible teaches us that idols can be carved by the art. That's the hand of a man. 
tool, wood, carving out, bowing down. That can be an idol. But the Bible in the same sentence tells us that it can also be carved by the imagination. That's the mind of a man. You see that? It can be presented in both ways. A physical, literal idol or a carved image that is made in the imagination of a man. And so when you see it, this broadly, oh, hold up. This is, this is what my dad said. Hold, 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 hold up. I've never heard this before. You're telling me that every time I carve something up in my mind, every time I make up a God of my own preference, a God of my own choosing, God how I, I, I deem Him to be, every time I do that and it's not in accord with Holy Scripture, I have carved a mental image with my own imagination, a false God. You mean to tell me every time we do that, we are bowing down and worshiping false gods. That's exactly what God's Word teaches. Exactly what God's Word teaches. And not only when we distort God, so you're in your bedroom by yourself and you're just thinking distorted things about the one true God. Maybe it's the prosperity gospel. That's, that's like the, the, the gangrene in our culture. And you have Jesus' name is said. And you have some things about his gospel that said. But you have a room full of people and all they want is money. All they want is health and money and prosperity. They don't want Jesus Christ. What is that? It has his name, but it's a false God carved with the imagination of man. Do you see that? So you can be by yourself in your bedroom. You can be carving up gods. Bowing down to false gods. But not only that, so any distortion of God would fall under that category. But not only that, anything that we look out to in all of God's creation, any created thing that we exalt to the place of the ultimate thing, is that's, that is an image, a deity that we carve with our own imagination. It's called a false god. And here, here's, here is the, the, the deceptive part of that. That it can be really good things. That there can be really, really, really good things that you exalt to the ultimate thing. And that is a deity carved in the, by the imagination of man. You have attributed things to that created thing that are not true. You have attributed attributes to that created thing that are not true. It is an image carved by the imagination of man. So... Once that's in place, now we look around and we literally see hundreds and thousands of false gods in this culture. It's not just a literal image bowing down thing. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of what we worship, what we're going after. And so, I hope that's clear to you. Okay, That you live in a culture and idolatry is alive and well in this culture. Next, I want it to be more than clear to you intellectually. I want this to be personal to you. Okay? Here's what I mean. Remember that loving warning. I want us, with the help of the Holy Spirit of God, to take a peek in our own heart. And not just learn about what idolatry is, but to see it in us. 
to identify the ways that is attempting to grab hold of our hearts. And so I want to spend some time, some good time on that this morning. How can we diagnose these things in our hearts? So I want to give you a verse, and I want to use this verse to set up some diagnostic categories. Here's the verse, Acts 7, verse 41. Listen to it. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. So here, I want to use God's word and equip God's people. That's a really good way for you to know what your idols are. That's a characteristic of idol worship. That verse just told you two things that are characteristic of worshiping idols. You sacrifice to it and you rejoice in it. And those are the two categories that I want us to spend some time thinking about in my life. What do I sacrifice to? And in my life, what do I rejoice in? What do I sacrifice to? And what do I rejoice in? I want this to be a personal word to every person in this room. Okay? I'm going to give some examples of idolatry in our culture. But here's what I don't want you to do. Okay? When I hit one of those examples and all of a sudden somebody's name pops up sitting three people down from you. I don't want you to think about them. I want you to think about yourself. I want you to think about yourself as we're examining these things. Let God the Holy Spirit convict you. Identify your idols, not your neighbor's. It's only after that happens, after the plank is pulled out of your eye, that you're able to help anybody else in this room anyway. So I want us to listen with that personal diagnosis that I want to see this. Lord Jesus, I want to see what's competing with you in my heart for my affections. And the second thing is this. If I roll through these examples and you don't think any of these are at play in your life, please do not feel safe and insulated. There's no way that I can cover hundreds of idols in American culture. So what we're doing now is we're giving the body of Christ, the people of God, some trajectories of this is, these are categories that you can use to diagnose sin in your heart. You can use to obey these commandments to guard yourselves from idols. So let's start with that first category. Category of sacrifice, and I want to ask you this personal question. To whom or what, brothers and sisters, to whom or what are you bringing costly offerings in your life? Or ask it another way, what, what are you living for? Brothers and sisters, what are you laying down your lives to go after? You think about this. To try to help us rescue idolatry, out of ancient history and see it alive and well in the modern world, I want to draw some loose connections in the idols we worship and the idols that are found in Scripture that Israel went after. And I say loose connections. Okay, I don't want you to get hung up on, on anything too strict or stringent. Here's what I'm going after. When we read those things, I want us to see ourselves in those stories. I don't want our reaction to be, I can't believe they did that. I want our reaction to be, I've seen that in myself way too many times. 
And so I want us to see our modern idols in the context of these false gods in Scripture. Here's a false god in America. I think we could, we could all agree with this one as a starting place. There is a false god of greed in American culture. A false god of greed in American culture. His temple is the American workplace. The American workplace. I want you to think about some similarities we know. Is that a new thing? Is that a new thing? This false god demands costly offerings. He demands sacrifices to be made. If you want to follow that God and get what He gives you, you've got to pay Him something. You've got to give some costly sacrifices. So I want you to think about this. This false god agreed is similar to the Old Testament false god Molech. Molech. And this God of greed demands that you pay Him costly offerings. Costly offerings. This is why you see a man going after or a woman going after the money, the greed, the security, and the status of this culture. And he will sacrifice his family in a millisecond on the altar of success. In the pursuit of greed. In the pursuit of money. So he didn't literally sacrifice his child to Molech like they did in the Old Testament. But in a similar way, he puts his family on the altar in pursuit of his false gods. He or she does that. Surely you have seen this play out in American culture. I think we can all agree with that. Surely you have seen that. Okay? A false god worship with these costly sacrifices. So here's the question. Has that, that you clearly see in American culture, has that made its way into your relationship with Christ? Has that way of thinking and that way of living perverted your relationship with the Lord Jesus? So I, this is a personal concern from me. And I know Ryan could say the same thing. Okay, I want you to really examine this. Brothers and sisters, members of Grace Community Church, are you paying too heavy a price? In your academic pursuits. In your vocational pursuits. Are you going after those things with more zeal than you are going after the Lord Jesus Christ? That is a manifestation of idolatry. Manifestation of bowing down and worshiping the false gods of American culture. Listen to the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. That's the words of Christ. And you know what? One of the first things that that, that, false, that false idol worship begins to do and ra is rationalize itself is, yes, I can serve God in money. I can have my cake and eat it too. And there are all kind of ways that, that deceptive little lies that we believe to pursue this idol further and further and further. I want you to hear this this morning. From Christ, you cannot serve God and money. They are, they are opposed to each other. You cannot go after the Lord Jesus and after this God of American culture. It is impossible. It is impossible. Who are you sacrificing to? Who are you paying who are you bringing costly offerings to? I'll give you another example. 
In Acts chapter 19, we read about a Greek goddess named Artemis. She was worshipped in the ancient world. She was the goddess of beauty. And so here's here's the lie that they're caught up in, the worshipers of Artemis. Sacrifice to that God and she will make you desirable. Give her what she wants, pay her costly offerings, and she will make you desirable. People will like you, people will desire you. Okay? And we can read about things like that. We can feel so distant. We don't have a temple to Artemis in Jackson, Mississippi. Look at us. Look how advanced we are, how far we've come. But that's the thing that we want to come against because that same idol manifests itself in American culture. American culture. There is a false god of body image that is worshipped in gyms all across America. And standing in front of mirrors all across America. Do you understand that about your culture? This false god demands sacrifices so heavy that it will drive a man or a woman into an eating disorder. Even denying themselves food to the point to where they kill themselves in service to this false god. Or spin into depression and suicidal depression because of the costly offerings that this false god of body image has demanded in this culture. Do you know that about the culture that you live in? Do you know that about the culture that you live in? Consumed with self. How self appears to everyone around them. And here's the question. As we search our idols, okay? Who are you bringing costly offerings to? Who are you bringing costly offerings to? Serve that God and she will make you desirable. How much of your working out or your diet and exercise or your fixing it up every day, how much of it is motivated by that same thing? Pay that God and get what she promises you. Do you see that? Has that made its way into your life? Your life. This is not picking on anybody in this room. That, that, that likes to work out and runs marathons. That's not the question. The question are, is, are you going after false gods to the exclusion to, to, and putting the one true God on the side burner? Is that true in your life? And if it is, call it what it is, brother. Call it what it is, sister. That is an idol. That is idol worship. It is idol worship. And so are you doing that? Are you motivated by these things? Now, I even say this to some of the some of the my brothers in the room. There's a false god of war, Greek god, god of war named Artes, and, and they sacrifice to this god, and he will make you the baddest dude around. Okay, baddest dude around. How much of your working out and your pursuit of exercise every single day is motivated by that same thing? Pay that god, and I'll be the baddest dude around. Do you see that? This is not arm's length away. This is the same thing manifesting itself over and over in human history. And so God's word tells us very clearly what we need to be exerting ourselves and going after with all of our might. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 and 8. Train yourselves for godliness. For godliness. For bodily exercises of some value... But godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise 
to the present life and also for the life to come. And so, is that what you're doing? Is that what you're really going after? Or are you giving more attention to your physical body than your eternal soul? And if you are doing that, that is engaging in idol worship. This false god of body image in American culture. Has this made its way into your life? Alright, let's think about this other category. And, that, and that's the trajectory, right? There can be many other things that you sacrifice to, that you pay costly offerings to, that you're paying too heavy a price in pursuit of. But I want to transition to this other diagnostic category. This category of rejoicing in our idols. And I want to ask you personally, what, what has your affections? At the very end of the day, what do you daydream about? When you, when you don't have to think about anything else, do you meditate on and long for and think about the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do you find something else constantly infiltrating your minds and your affections competing with Him? Where are your affections? So we talked about family being sacrificed to false gods. But I also want to throw this out there that they can also be false gods in and of themselves. Children, spouses, these are gifts that God has given us that if we exalt them to the ultimate thing, they become idols that attempt to take God's place. So children are blessings from the Lord. Amen. They are blessings from God. We praise God for these little souls that He has entrusted to us and we get to love them. And care for them and steward them through life and teach them about the things of God. And they are wonderful blessings from God, but they are terrible idols if they take His place. Do you know that? Do you know that? This is alive and well in American church culture. American church culture. There was a false goddess in the Old Testament named Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth. Many times the people of Israel went after this false god. And you know what she was? Parents hear this really strong this morning. She was the goddess of fertility. The goddess of fertility. So I want you to try to get in, inside the mind of a man or a woman who would go after the goddess of fertility. So what are they thinking? Gotta have a kid or gotta have a bunch of them. Either I don't have a kid and I gotta have one or I already have some kids but I gotta have more. You see that? Now the next question is why in the world would a man or a woman in Israel go to a false God for that? And the only answer to the question is they want kids more than they want God. Do you understand that? If they didn't, they would wait on the true God of Israel, call upon His name until He answered from heaven. But they don't want God. They want kids more than they want God. So they're willing to sacrifice to a false God just to get what they want. Do you see that? Do you see that? They're willing to leave God behind in pursuit of children. And so what's the fundamental sin there? They have tied their identity to being a parent. 
that good thing that God gives has begun to be an ultimate thing in their life, an idol that they bow down to and serve. Question, has that made its way into your life? Do you find yourself fighting against that when it does creep up in your life? Listen to God's Word, Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is His Word. This is the words of Jesus Christ. What has your affections? Does He have it all? Does He have the supreme place? Are you finding family sneaking in there and competing with Jesus? What has your affections? What do you rejoice in? Are your highest joys in life spent worshiping the false god of entertainment in America? He's worshipped in sports stadiums all across our country. Grown men, whole families devote their, their, almost their entire schedule to bowing down to, to worship and serve this false god. Highest joys in their week are spent watching these Little games on TV are, are spent with our buddies watching these little games. Okay? What are we saying? Are we saying kids are bad? Are we saying enjoying a sports is bad? That's not what we're saying. That's a smokescreen. What we're saying is, are you paying too heavy a price? Do you find your highest joys being in things other than Jesus Christ? Other than the Lord Jesus. Now, there are hundreds more that we could talk about. Hundreds more idols in America. The praise of man. Do you find yourself fixated on thinking about that all day long? You pop a little picture on Facebook and you're sitting by, beside your phone for the next six hours. Oh, who likes it? Who likes it? Who likes it? Oh, I like to be told that people like my stuff. Praise of man. Has that made its way into your life? Or the fear of man. Praise of man or the fear of man. Or sexual fulfillment. We live in a culture that is immersed in pornography. Millions of dollar revenue business every single year. Hundreds of idols. Hundreds of them. And every one of them is a false god. A false god that is robbing God of His glory and taking God's place. So these are the types of questions that we use to diagnose ourselves. To see how this is hitting us. Questions like this. So I want you to think about that. What do you ultimately love? What do you ultimately rejoice in? What are you bringing costly sacrifices to? What do you spend your time doing? What are you going after in life? And talk to other people that know you. Ask them those same questions. You say, why in the world would I ever do that? Hebrews chapter 3, so that none of us will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We love to pronounce ourselves innocent. Surely you know that. So what are some brothers and sisters who are close to you, what do they see in your life? What do they see you going after? What do they see you sacrificing to? These are the false gods that compete with the Lord Jesus in our hearts. And I'll say one more thing before we finish this, this heading. Is that no matter how those different Idols are hitting us all across this room in different ways. There's something that's true 
under every single one of them. Okay? All those manifestations, those hundreds of manifestations of idolatry, at the very root, at the very bottom of every single one, is us worshiping ourselves. It is self-deification. I want to show you that from Scripture. It's putting ourselves in the place of God. Philippians chapter 3 has a vivid way of putting this. Verse 19, he's looking at a group of idolaters. And he says this phrase, their God is their belly. I want you to think about that. What does that not mean? Well, it doesn't mean that they're worshiping their stomach, their literal stomach. It means that their God is their appetites, the things that they want, the things that they hunger for. That's their God. You see that? Their God is their own appetites, their own desires. And this one is known all across the room by experience. Okay? When we sin, we bow down to our own desires instead of bowing down to the one true God. And when we do that, it is a form of self-worship, self-deification. So all those little expressions are really that coming out in a different way. I want this and I'm willing to sacrifice to this false God to get it. I'm willing to pay him. I'm willing, willing to rejoice in that thing or that person to get what I want. That is a form of self-worship. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says the same thing. It says this phrase, covetousness, which is idolatry. You see that? You know how helpful that is? To broaden this out, to really see that in your life. How do you know your idols? What do you, what do you covet? Because it just said, covetousness is idolatry. What do you find your mind longing for, going after? You see that? And when we go after and long for these things, these covetous desires, we carve and worship the false god of ourselves. That is the ultimate idol. We're going to find out in a minute that Jesus demands that that idol be renounced in conversion to Christ. The ultimate idol that we put in the place of God is ourselves. So do you see it that way? Like When we begin to talk about words like, I'll just give you all an example. I'm trying to think of somebody who I can use as an example, but this is completely random. Alan Daniel. Can't imagine him, you know, taking me wrong here. Okay. Think about the way that we talk about sin. Think about something that, that we just talked about, about this false god of greed. And I want you to picture Alan Daniel doing one of two things. The first is this. Alan comes to me, gets this really nice job, and he begins to to labor for the Lord and serve, serve the Lord at this job. And all of a sudden, three months in, he looks up and he's pulling 65 hours a week. No end in sight. He can't, he, he, he doesn't feel like he has time to seek the Lord Jesus Christ, to make disciples, to pray, to go after the members of this local church, to serve the Lord Jesus in this world. And so, option number one, Alan's, Alan comes to me and he says, brother, it's just, it's just difficult, but, you know, I'm just really confident that, that it's going to get better. Okay? There's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. Or, or I'm struggling with balance in my life. Okay? Or I want you to picture the second. Alan coming to me 
three months later, and he says, I am worshiping myself. And I say, what, brother? Like, surely you don't mean like you're literally worshiping yourself. And with tears in his eyes, he says, I know that it's real in my life. There's things competing for the Lord Jesus in my heart. And my job is trying to make me bow down and serve it. What do you think is more, a more biblical way to think about idolatry? And that's what we got to push into. The wickedness of it. The offense of it to God. And one of the clearest ways that we can see this is self-worship, self-deification. This is why God's word tells us that he will punish every idolater with eternal wrath. It's not a little sin. It is a massive offense to the holy God. Listen to Revelation chapter 21 verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable. As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's the end that God's word promises to every idol worshiper. Unrepented of idol worship will end in a lake that burns and never stops. This is how offensive it is to, to the one true God to be replaced and robbed of His glory. So, I'm hoping and I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit has that heavy weight laying on us. I see that. I believe God's Word. I see the end that idolatry will take us to. Therefore, I want to know how to fight it. I want to know how to fight it. And that's what, what I want us to spend some time on as we close. How do we fight this sin? How do we fight these many idols that try to compete with Jesus in our life? And the first thing I want to say is this. I do not assume that every person here is a Christian. I don't. I hope you don't either with what we know about false conversion in America, I do know that many of my brothers and sisters in this room are converted and that you love the Lord Jesus. But not everybody. And so I want this to be clear if that's you this morning. I want you to know what God demands of you as a response to idolatry. We just, he just promised you from His Word that if nothing else happens, you are headed to a lake that burns and never stops because of the sin of idolatry. So here's what God's Word teaches. It teaches us that the Christian life begins, begins with you turning away from false gods and swearing allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how the Christian life starts. And anyone who's in Christ this morning, that's how it started for you. Turn away from idols and swear allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is called repentance in Scripture. And there is no Christian on planet Earth who has not done this. It is impossible. This is what God's Word is getting at when it says, You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the candy man. The master of the cosmos. The one who made stars and to whom stars bow down to you believe in the Lord, the enthroned King of heaven and earth. 
And so even to come to Him in saving faith is to renounce false gods. And so I want this to be clear to you this morning. If that's you, I want you to know what God demands of you. What is, what is He telling you to do? And as you're learning about these things and, and, and these idols, what is He telling you to do about that? And I want to read several verses straight from God's word. Take it from him, not from me. This is God's word to you. God's word to you. What do you do? Ezekiel 14 verse 6. Repent and turn away from your idols. There's no way around it. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot have Jesus and idols. This is his word coming with authority. And remember this as a loving warning, as a loving warning. He is commanding you to repent and to turn away from your idols. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. This has always been the demand of Jesus. Always. Listen to what he says. Then Jesus called his disciples. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And if anybody's in this room and you say, well, I'm a Christian and I didn't do that. You need to rewind because you can't be a Christian if you haven't done that. If anyone desires to come after the Lord Jesus, he must deny himself. She must deny herself. Take up her cross and come after him. He demands a break. With the allegiance of false gods and of idols. He says if anyone would save his life. He will lose it. And whoever loses his life. For my sake will find it. This is, there is no salvation for any human being apart from repentance. Apart from turning away from false gods. And here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ the king overall died for idolatry. He spilled his blood for that wicked sin of putting lesser things in his place. Is that not glorious news? That we offend him and offend him and spit in his face and put pathetic things in his place. And he says, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll come and I will die for their sin. This is the grace of God. That in Christ, through his work on the cross, every single person... That comes to Jesus in repentant faith is forgiven of idolatry for endless ages throughout eternity. You will never pay for your wicked sins against God. This is an explicit promise in God's word. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. Listen and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. You know, that's a promise of the new covenant. That God has promised to wash the stain away of our worship of false gods. Every single one of us in Christ can believe God and have received that promise from God. He has cleansed us from our worship of false gods. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And we have that this morning. Every brother and sister in this room, you have personally received the finished work of the Lord Jesus. He has broken the dominion of sin. 
We are to think about ourselves in Christ, dead to sin, alive to God in Christ. Because of what He's done on our behalf. Every Christian in this room, you have that. Dominion of idolatry, the slavery of idolatry is broken in Jesus by His finished work. Amen? Do you believe that? But here's the tension. That's true. But here's the tension. That does not mean that idols disappear in our life. Otherwise, why would we ever have this commandment, little children, keep yourselves from idols? And so they remain with lesser authority over us than they once had, but they're still there, and we're still supposed to be doing something about them. Do you feel that? I want us to wake up to this commandment as we close today. There's a, there's a verse in John 5 verse 18, Ryan preached on this last week, that we have a promise from God's Word that Jesus protects the believers. Everyone who is born of God does not continue on in sin. Why? Because he who is born of God protects him. Jesus is protecting us from Satan, from sin, from this hostile world. But do you know, as you read those things, that you have no permission in God's Word to fall asleep in your dealing with idolatry. In other words, a wrong way to read that promise is to go to sleep against your fight against sin. So both of these things are true in God's Word. Not just one, both. Jesus protects us. And, and listen to this. Feel the weight of this. You keep yourself. You keep yourself from idols. You have a responsibility before God. God is not doing that for you. Do you understand that? That's a distorted view of the sovereignty of God in some ways. And we even say it in a way where we mean good sometimes. Even when we're talking about our conversion. We say, I did nothing. I did nothing to get saved. Jesus did everything. And, and in a certain sense, I know what every believer in this room means when you say that. You, believe, you, you mean, I didn't do anything to deserve it. It's all Christ. It's all His finished work on my behalf. And here's what you don't mean. Jesus didn't believe the gospel for you. Jesus did not repent of your sin and believe the gospel for you. He gave you faith and He gave you repentance, but He did not do that for you. We never have that language in Scripture. So, feel the tension of that. If you are outside of Christ, repent and believe. And if you are a believer this morning, keep yourself. Keep yourself. There is, there is a watchfulness that's supposed to be happening in our lives. There's no place for sleepiness. When we think about these things that are trying to compete with Jesus in our life. So every single time that the Holy Spirit identifies one of these things in your heart and in your life, there's supposed to be this holy zeal that rises up in us to kill that idol and to resist it and to guard ourselves from it. Do you feel the weight of that? That we have a responsibility before God to keep ourselves from idols. And in case anybody's asleep to that, okay, you, you're comfortable, you know, you hear about fighting, but it, it really, even what I said just then didn't really wake you up. I want you, I want to read this verse about King Solomon. I want this to be a reminder, okay? Or this is a reminder to everybody in this room. You can start out well and die an idol worshiper. I'll prove it to you. First Kings 11 verse 4. For when Solomon was old, his wife, 
His wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. We almost daydream sometimes about it's just going to get better and better with the Lord Jesus. We're going to grow in our knowledge of him, more holiness, more of his Christ-like character. But not everybody. It is possible that you are around the things of God and that you die worshiping idols. Worshiping idols. Do you feel warned by that? If you do, you're going to do exactly what the passage tells us to. You're going to guard yourself. Guard yourself. And I want to talk about how we do that. Okay? It's not an arm wrestling match with idols, right? It's not a physical strength thing that we just overpower on them and they're done. Okay? That's not how it works. And really, I want you to know something even deeper, you know, about yourself. We resist idols by fighting the fight of faith. And what I mean by that is there's something, there's something at the root level that's happening in our lives that's causing us to go after these lies and these false gods. Okay? And so we can spend all our time fighting the external things, or we can aim at the very root to uproot these lies about these false gods and these idols. So this is the fight of faith. This is where we need to spend the majority of our time preaching to ourselves. Preaching to ourselves about the lies of idols and about the truths of Jesus. Just a stack of verse on this. Romans chapter 12 tells us that a human being is transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's how it's always going to happen. You're going to stop longing for something forbidden and start longing for the Lord Jesus because you think something differently. It's always going to work like that. So that's where we get, begin to preach the truth of God's word to ourselves. This is the fight of faith. And I want to hit this from two ways. We preach the truth about idolatry. That means we expose lies. We need to confront lies as they land in our minds. And we are tempted to believe them. So you need to confront lies in your life. And so do I. About what created things can never give you. You need to preach that to yourself over and over and over. Idols can never give you significance. Biblically, they are worthless. They have no eternal value. Listen to Psalm 96, verse 5. All the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Worthless. So how about that for a reminder when we go after these false gods that we are going after something that's worthless. Reminding ourselves, this does not end good, Dustin. This ends in worthlessness, in vanity. You're going after these things, but it's like water circling the drain. It's going down. It's passing away. It has no value. How about that for a reminder? You're building your house on sand. And the storm's coming and it's going to smash it to pieces. They are worthless. Created things, we cannot build our lives upon them. They can never satisfy us. Never. Because we are made for Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 1. All things are made through Him and for Him. You are made for Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can satisfy you. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. Isaiah 55 verse 2 and 3. Why do you spend your money... For that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy. 
Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. We need to uproot the lies about the freedom that false gods promise us. It will be better for you if you come serve me. It's actually the exact opposite in scripture. Worshiping false gods enslaves us. Enslaves us. Takes you farther than you ever wanted to go. Ever dreamed of going. Ask Solomon. Ask him if we could. Cost more than you ever want to pay. This is the, the, the cost of following false gods. Listen to Romans chapter 1. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. To the dishonoring of their bodies. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature. Rather than the creator who is blessed forever. How about that for a reminder? This leads to judgment. This leads to discipline. This does not end well. So there's another side of that. So we're preaching the truth about idols and, and, and what they really are and what they can never give us. But at the same time, we are smashing these idols by preaching to ourselves the glory of Jesus Christ. The glory of Christ. There is none beside Him. He is the worthy one in all of heaven. The second person of the Trinity. Our God and our King. The Lord Jesus. None stands beside Him. And so in the midst of a temptation to serve idols, we need to be reminded of who Jesus is. Who is Christ in the midst of this false God? Let's get a glimpse of the God of glory, the God of power, the God of majesty. And all false gods pale in comparison to Him. I'll just focus in on two things to remind ourselves about Jesus. Two attributes, two categories to think about Christ in. His sovereignty and His sweetness. His power and His preciousness. How powerful is the Lord Jesus and how precious He is to us. You think about this in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Jesus is pictured as the lion and the lamb, the roaring, conquering king, the powerful one. And also as the lamb, the one who died for our sins and he is precious to us. So we have to remind ourselves of the sovereignty of Jesus Christ over every created thing. Everything that you will ever be tempted to worship and go after, he made it with a word from his mouth. And not only did he make it, he sustained it. This is Jesus. Every false God, no false God can stand beside him in value or in power. And really you get a picture of this in the Old Testament. There's a false God named Dagon. The Philistines went after him and worshipped him. And they pulled the ark of God into Dagon's temple. And they walked into that temple in the morning. And all of a sudden the false God is on his face before the ark of the God of Israel. And the picture is everything that we could possibly be tempted to go after is lesser than him and is to bow down and serve King Jesus. We need to see him as the sovereign overall. The sovereign overall. But he's not just powerful. He's not just raw power like a hurricane. Like 10 million hurricanes. He's also precious to us. Precious to us. You say, what do you mean? He's not only the sovereign Lord of stars, of cosmos, of every created thing. Not only does he uphold the universe 
by the word of His power. He is the Savior of sinners. Does this ever get old to you? That the maker of mountains, God, the second person of the Trinity, the creator, the sovereign over all, invades this world and dies for our sins. Could have exalted himself for tens of billions of thousands of years as the just judge who punishes every sinner throughout eternity. But he has destined to exalt himself in our life as the savior of sinners. And he's magnified in his church as the God of our salvation. Does it ever get old to you? That he is the treasure in the field. He is the pearl of great price. Why? Not only because he reigns with raw power. Because he loves us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Question. Ask yourself this. What idol can you say that that's true of? That they died for my sins in the midst of my rebellion. They washed me clean with their own blood. Only Jesus. He is the precious one to us. And His death for us is supposed to produce something in us. Lord Jesus, I want to go after you and nobody else. Listen to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him. He died that you would live for Him. No idols in His place. That you would go after Him with everything you have. And so I want us to close. Just examining these things in your heart. Brothers and sisters, anybody that's peeking their head in as a visitor to Grace Community Church. Is there anything besides this glorious Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there anything besides this beautiful Jesus that, that holds allegiance in your heart? That's competing for His affection and His worship in your heart. This is the question. Does He reign in you? Does He reign in your mind and your affection? Or does some broken cistern sit in His place? C.T. Studd reminds us of what's at stake here. And I'll close with these words. He says, only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. And when I have died, how glad I shall be if the lamp of my life has burned out for me. Grace Community Church, I love you. And I just amen that, right? Like, let's, let's come around this teaching and let's agree in the presence of God that we want to go after the Lord Jesus alone until they put us in the ground. May the lamp of our life burn out for Christ. And may He kill idols in this church. I am in that prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. And we thank You for Your Word. And we ask, God, that You would make it effective. God, make it effective, Lord. Show how powerful You are. Just like the days of old, Lord, where You exalted Yourself far above the false gods. You did it on Mount Carmel. And you shamed the prophets of Baal. And you were the God who answers with fire from heaven. You did it in Dagon's temple. You crushed the idols, Lord. You did it in every one of our life at conversion. You made yourself more glorious, more valuable, more, we, more desirable to be had. And we followed you, Lord. And we ask, God, that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would work in us, God. That you would help us to guard ourselves from idols. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.